Exodus 1 to 12, we looked at a brief overview. Now we continue with our consecutive reading of the chapters in the book of Exodus. This book that has tremendous significance for the entire plan of salvation because it talks about deliverance. God's salvation is all about deliverance. Deliverance from sin, the bondage and the tyranny of sin. Deliverance from the devil. Deliverance from all kinds of woes, all kinds of trouble. Deliverance from the disease of the soul. Deliverance from hard bondage under our enemy, the devil. God comes and rescues us. And so Exodus typifies salvation. It shows us how God is watching with eyes of love and a heart that is broken when he sees us in trouble. Hallelujah. God is a gracious God. He heard the cries and the groaning of the people. We all know what groaning means. It's more than just a sigh, more than just a complaint. It's a deep cry from the soul, the depths of our hearts. Oh, God, when are we going to get delivered? When will the cycle end? Have you ever felt like that? And one of the worst things to feel related to groaning, uh, evoking a groan from the soul is, how can I get out of this lifeless existence? There's no true joy. Nothing lasts. There seems to be no satisfaction Everything seems to be at the surface pleasant and fun and exciting, but when you look at the root of it, there's absolutely nothing there, no joy in this world, that is. We come to Jesus Christ, we are given an abundant life. Something that seems to be too good to be true according to the world and certainly according to the lie of the devil. What a thrill, what a delight, oh, what a breakthrough to come out of a mundane, lifeless, and often cruel, hard bondage into a freedom and life in Jesus Christ. Exodus shows us how God so loved his people to bring them out of slavery. And he redeems us, as we've seen in these 40 chapters in a brief overview, that it speaks of redemption and then glory. It doesn't end with just being redeemed. It's as if someone went to a shop where they've given something to get some immediate funds and then they go to redeem that back. It's not simply back in the collection. God is not like that at all. He means to glorify. He's so full of love. The prodigal son came back and it was not merely a formal acceptance. See the guard at the door. Or see my chief servant. And you can get your things restored. It's not coming out of jail and getting our belongings back, back to an existence where I have to 
make it on my own and see what's out there again if I can be reconnected with society. But there's a father waiting who has executed the redemption. He has effected, effected that plan. And on the other side, he's waiting with open arms to do what? Take us in some broken down vehicle back to the same hell hole which got us into prison? No. He's there waiting for us to take us to his palace. To wash us clean. Even to the purging of the soul and conscience. And this is what we see in Exodus. He brought them out of bondage from nowhere to the best place in his presence. And he gave them instructions. God teaches us where would we be without instruction? Imagine if we never went to school or if we were never taught by our parents how to do basic arithmetic. How would we fare when we go to the store? Would we be able to count our change? We think of some basic skills such as that, being taught basic addition and subtraction and multiplication. And we see how it does us good in the real world how valuable it is. How about for the soul to navigate the soul in this wicked world to be able to be an overcomer? Not merely a person who says, I believe in me and reads all the self-motivation books to realize the potential of one's street smarts, acumen, the skill to make money, and to be somebody in this world, only to do what? As we heard recently in the evening meeting, to build a sandcastle that with one wave from the ocean gets destroyed in an instant. This is exactly how God describes a person who hears the word of God and doesn't do anything about it. The house is built on sinking sand. The Exodus demonstrates the Exodus from God, this gaining freedom from the old life where all we knew was groaning, no matter what. Even if we went to family functions, whatever happiness seems to be there or excitement that people try to trump up, especially on the weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, oh, I've seen it being in the city, working there, especially in the transportation industry. Years. It seems the cycle never stops. People trying to get happiness while in chains. The reality is they're still in chains. But God broke the Israelites from the chains the hard taskmasters of the Egyptians who beat the foremen, if you will, the overseers of Israel's own population who watched over their brothers to bring that quota of the brick-making. to the satisfaction of the Egyptian overlords. They were beaten before they were questioned. 
unjust cruel treatment. Can you imagine that? It happens even in our day. Breach of justice. And people are beaten without giving, being given a fair trial or a fair audience to at least hear the matter. Cruelty. But they had it day in and day out. The chains are there even if a person goes to a bar, or some party, even church. There are people who go Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday night and different days all across this great nation who go with chains into the service and come out with the chains intact. But God is a Savior who liberates. God is never happy when we're in bondage. So He brings them out of slavery to give redemption and leads them to glory. Exodus, in a nutshell, is redemption from bondage and then the entrance into glory. They witnessed what they never witnessed. In fact, God says, what nation on all, in all the earth has ever had such an intimate connection with the living God? The God of the universe coming and zeroing in on people, perhaps 600,000 men strong, Then the women and children, out of the whole population of the world, to come to these people. Why? Not as an exclusive, segregating motion from the Almighty God. No, it was a prototype, if you will. It was a prelude to God's all-encompassing love for every tribe, every nationality, every tongue. He wants the whole world to taste freedom from bondage. Amongst this world, there are those who would hear the message and say, something here, there's hope, I want it. What do I have to do? And the Lord says, come. Believe me when I tell you, I am your Savior, there's no other. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 10. A series of plagues have broken out in the land of Egypt, never, ever seen before. And the intensity of these plagues are increasing. Why? Because there's a man there whose heart is so hard, he refuses to surrender to the word of the Lord. It's the condition of the human soul. It may be an innocent-looking, very pleasant old grandma, She may resist the grace of God. It's possible. How? By refusing to acknowledge the Savior, to surrender to the Savior, and to live for the Savior. Defiance is noted in these three qualities. A refusal. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I don't know of any God of the Hebrews. Who is he? I'm not letting the people go. A defiance it begins with a refusal to acknowledge the supremacy and awesomeness of the living God. Even the existence of the living God. Then there's a refusal to surrender and plead for mercy. 
the court of heaven when we are declared guilty there's no way out because it's true to see that mercy is waiting for us not just a deal to give some temporal freedom some temporal benefits if you would agree and confess that you are guilty or you had a part in this crime no to say I'm, I'm a sinner I'm condemned but God is not offering just a little benefit he's offering his life an exchange or a glorious transaction that I can become a Christian I can become a child of God enjoy the freedom which enables me to live for him and serve him Pharaoh wanted nothing to do with it and on top of that he was oppressing innocent people how could god stay quiet and the lord said unto moses exodus 10 go in to pharaoh for i've hardened his heart we must stop here and once more emphasize as god brings upon this eighth plague of locusts upon the land of egypt the god does not tempt anyone with evil neither can he be tempted with evil you can't get god to do wrong you can't because he is good and that's all he is that's his personality and nature it's not some wishful thinking on our part let's make up a god as plato the greek philosopher said the logical construct for god is that he is non anthropomorphic you can't give him feelings and things like that otherwise he won't be god oh yes he can be god with feelings because we are made in his image not the other way around when people make their own gods they can make their gods to be whatever they want to be convenient to do what evil people are like the god they worship we've heard the expression you are what you eat more so each one of us is what we worship we reflect what we worship person who worships his or her body will be consumed with that vanity to make sure the most important thing today is how i look in front of the world in front of the people like king saul gotten into a slime pit in sinking sand the person who worships money i don't care how i look to people i have to get that dollar in my pocket Every day is a new day to make a fast buck. Led by covetousness, demonic spirit. Another one is immorality. I don't care necessarily how I look or what kind of money I have in my pocket, I have to go and driven by lust go satisfy that or try to satisfy it. And the motivating factor is that what a bondage. And who comes to set us free from this cruel bondage? Jesus Christ the righteous Moses was instructed to go to Pharaoh whom God said I've hardened his heart but not before Pharaoh hardened his heart against God He refused he refused to surrender to God The Lord said if if that's what you really want and you refuse my mercy Here, let me help you in your path because you cannot stick around in my universe 
for long being a rebel. Even though it may seem to be long from the vantage point of human beings, some may say, that person doesn't believe in God. He's a full-fledged, outspoken atheist. He's a blasphemer. He's 85 years old, still printing his blasphemies in the New York Times. He seems to have a nice big mansion. He's got everything he's ever wanted and more, and he seems to be the king of his castle. Well, there was an individual I remember clearly while working in a health club as a teenager many, many years ago, over three decades ago, and I remember this man was in his early 90s and he was coming into the gym early 90s didn't look particularly muscular especially given his advanced age but he had a spring in his step in his early 90s and he had his sweats on and he was doing chin-ups what an inspiration to all those people who feel sluggish to come to the gym and those who are, who are struggling to make any progress in their weightlifting or their cardiovascular workouts and this man occasioned to speak with me and of course I spoke about the gospel I was 19 and he was 90 something and obviously he's very learned he was a retired executive and uh, he said have you heard of Spinoza a philosopher and many such names in this world who have nothing to do with salvation and many times contradict the very heart of the gospel and so he was trying to get along with his philosophy. After all, didn't his philosophy, his personal philosophy, an eclectic hodgepodge collection of what works, some pragmatic approach to life, didn't it work for him? After all, he's 90-something. He's got all the money he wants, and he seems to be quite fit, an unusual level of fitness, physical fitness, mental agility, why well, we can sit at his feet and learn something, couldn't we? It would be a smokescreen and a pure letdown to learn everything we can from an aged individual who has made it in this world big. It would be a dead end of the worst sort because without Christ... Everything is in vain. All the money, the hard work, the diligent schooling, the self-taught success methods to show that I have achieved. A person can get all the award in the community, the awards, and before Christ stand horrified ready to perish because with all they're getting they refuse to get that wisdom that can give eternal life the apostle told Timothy the young pastor 
your mother and your grandmother. These two women who are godly have influenced you, little Timothy. You've heard about the living God and you're wise knowing the scriptures unto salvation. The goal of every human being is, should be. How can I get into a right relationship with God? Because after this life is over, it seems to be just a breath, even if someone lives to be 90-something. And I can guarantee that individual is not around today. What happened to everything he's done? Came to nothing. So Pharaoh may have been trained as a prince, as a king, as a warrior, as an administrator, as a god. And one day, all his hopes, all his achievements washed away like the sandcastle on the shore. He hardened his heart against God as so many people do today and he found out that doing battle with the living God was the most foolish thing he's ever embarked upon. Now the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 10 verse 1 Go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him. That I may show these signs of mine before him. Now his servants also were hardened in their hearts up to a point. And then they surrendered, said, Listen to this God, he's superior to every God we have. And God indeed showed, You have God of the Nile River, I'm superior. I can do what I want. With the Nile River, I turn into blood. You have a God that you worship that has the head of a frog, a goddess, I'll show you I'm superior to that thing, that demon. I bring frogs on the land and I remove them at my will. You have a God of the earth, I'll take the dust of the earth through my servants, Moses and Aaron. I produce lice all over the land. Now take it away at will. With every successive plague, God was showing it's foolish to fight with me. Why? And how many people have you witnessed to? And how many times have you noticed in your own life, in our own lives, when we thought we can do better than God's counsel, only to fall flat on our face? Total disillusionment, sadness, loneliness, the burden of the guilt, and when your heart races and your spirit is sunk, what's the use of living anyway? As the enemy of our soul is coming to do us in. At that point, if we plead for mercy and say, Lord, I've failed, I've sinned against you, God is there to pick us up. Oh, yes, he is. He's full of mercy. He's full of love. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and his hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. That 90-plus-year-old man in the health club there, when I spoke to him those many years ago, you can see a smile in this personable interchange there. 
but he refused. He had an iron will. He can go and do chin-ups at 90 plus years old, but he would not surrender to the Lord. He had an iron will against God. And unless he had surrendered to the Lord Jesus as a result of hearing the gospel, what a sign at the end of one's life to hear from someone of all places at a health club that, sir, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have achieved everything, but your soul needs salvation. And it's through the blood of his cross that you can be washed clean from every sin. And you are a sinner, as we all are. We need the blood of Jesus to wash us. So we no longer are sinners. But children of God who walk in the newness of life and righteousness and holiness and integrity by the grace of God. But there's a dramatic change. That man had something of Pharaoh in him, even though he didn't look anything like Pharaoh. That's the danger of the human heart. God said here, I want you to note down exactly what I'm doing in rescuing my people, the Hebrews, from this bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt. Verse 2, he says, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son, the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Passover was instituted, as we'll see, culminating in the tenth and final plague. And for centuries to this very day, some 1,500 years, plus another 2,000 years, 35 centuries from the time of Moses to our present day, still celebrated. How is this tradition so long-standing? Where did it come from? Right from here. The book of Exodus in the experience of the Israelites where the Lord Yahweh, the self-existent Almighty God said, I'm doing these things not just for you, but for your generations. I wanted you to tell, I want you to tell your son and your grandson they have to hear it from your mouth. What a witness to be able to sit down with our sons and daughters and say, this is what the Lord God did for me. To transfer that faith and that fear of God, the healthy fear of God, that they may know they also need to surrender to the Lord and they also will have testimonies. And then to tell our grandchildren, we have a responsibility to open our mouths and be a witness for the Lord God Almighty because none of us are here by our own strength and might, by the pure grace of God. He has intervened in our lives so many times to give us a hope and future and a settlement. Settlement. What settlement? He has settled us in a place, as the psalmist says, you rescued me, Lord. You took me out of the miry clay, Lord. You took me out of sinking sand, Lord. I was in a narrow, constricted place, Lord. I was all boxed in, Lord. My back was up against the wall. I had nowhere to go, and you came with a mighty hand. 
and rescued me. You set my feet in a large place. You prospered me. I'm here today because of God's grace and we're able to tell that to our children and our grandchildren. God has commanded this right here before the outbreak of the eighth plague of locusts. Every Israelite. To tell in the hearing of the children and grandchildren that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. There will be so great in number, billions of them, that you won't be able to see the ground. Can you imagine that scenario? Are we supposed to read the Bible without feeling, without involvement? No. This is the truth. We need to understand what happened, at least to visualize with the help of the Holy Spirit, how it might appear to you and I if we would look down at our apartment floor this morning or this afternoon, this evening, depending upon where you are in this world and you've tuned in. Or look at the floor of our house. Look outside. You can't see the sidewalk anymore. You can't see the road anymore. Why? Locusts are all over the ground and in the air. How how horrible. Show the extreme wickedness of this man whom God says, this is what you want? Go ahead and have it. Get harder in your heart. It was Pharaoh that was wicked. Not God. God is righteous. He says, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. You think he'd repent? In such a tragic and horrific state, the entire nation covered with this stuff. Notice the description. Not only I'm going to bring swarms of locusts that will just fill. You look up to the cloud, you can't see the sun. But you look down and every place you walk, you have locusts. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. We recall the seventh plague of hail, lightning and cold, hot thunderbolts, fire. What a horrifying, terrible sight. And the experience we read in the book of Psalms that the frost destroyed the vegetation when the psalmist recounts what happened in Exodus at the same time it says God sent lightning it wasn't lightning random strikes where you see it hit somewhere far away you hear the boom but it actually was targeted to destroy they saw this said of Pharaoh 
shaking himself and saying, what a fool you've been. Surrender to this God. What God of Egypt has ever done this? I've been able to do this. My people are dying. Their cattle are dying. Pharaoh played God as many people do today. I don't care what happens. I'll build back. You can't stop me. You can't keep a good man down. And I'm a good man. I don't need Jesus Christ. No matter what, I believe in me. The greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Well, for the person who the devil has ravaged in their human personality, told them you're no good and had people raised up to tell them you're no good. You're a useless person. Evil, negative words that can damage a human being no matter the age. God comes and says, no, you're made in my image. I love you. And you can love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But there's a twist to it. There's a perversion to it when it becomes, I love me to the point where I'm God. And I'm number one. And I look out for me first. Like Pharaoh, a person who is self-centered will face a hard fall sooner or later. Because to be self-centered is to go against the very will and nature of God and His commandments. So there's a frustration, even in ministry. Truth be told, there are people who do ministry and they still want to be seen. What an ugly contradiction, a dire contradiction. Minister means to serve for the good of another. Not to go so that during the service I can look good in the sight of others. I. We see Pharaoh can be manifested in various ways in any one of us until we cut him down. Dismiss that evil spirit. Because the devil will come to tempt on any given day. Today's the day that you can set your sights on riches. Today's a day in which you can look good in front of people, so do this or that. God sends the plagues to shake Pharaoh into his senses. But God predicted he's not going to change. That's exactly why I've allowed him to take his course. Show who I am, my great power on behalf of my people. The hail destroyed the vegetation. They depended upon that. The Nile River was prized. Why? Even to this day, you have lush, fertile ground. It seems to be a perpetual reservoir of crop production. God struck the vegetation. He struck the Nile. He struck the earth. He struck the trees. He struck everything. And for all that, this man would not bow to the Lord. This frail composition of an organism composed of mostly water, minerals, soft tissue, 
certain amount of organ systems down to the cellular level. Just a small speck in the universe boasting to be God. We think about it when someone speaks arrogantly. Do they have any power at all to be able to speak that way in the first place? To be able to hold themselves alive even one second? How presumptuous and foolish for a person to boast in anything and anyone except in the living God who holds that person together. How humbling it is to see the face of Pharaoh in the faces of many people, including ourselves. To see the judgment that must fall because God is not partial. He's no respect of persons. But I read in the Psalms recently, the meek shall be satisfied with salvation from God. As we mentioned at the outset of this, this morning's message, salvation is a total package. God means for his salvation, his tremendous power, regenerating power, life-giving power to permeate every aspect of our lives. This man is resisting. And the locusts come. And he says, They shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. Verse 6, They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all your Egyptians, all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. Moses turned and went from Pharaoh. along with Aaron. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man come and trouble us? Let the men go. They get really afraid. They have seen enough. Six horrifying plagues on the land. People and beasts and vegetation getting destroyed. Left and right. They're just being destroyed. And in the annals of the records of the pharaohs, including Tutmost, Three. They have a series of pharaohs named Thutmose. One, two, and three. Depending upon the chronology that people established through archaeological evidences and the study of extra-biblical records, you don't see this part recorded because it was not a practice at all for kings, including the Assyrians, to note their defeats. However, we find many corroborations in secular literature that there was a nomadic people, a Semitic people, Hebrew people. They were in Egypt and all of a sudden they seemed to have disappeared overnight. They came into another territory overnight. Masses of them. There are extra-biblical records that show this many such things that there's no explanation except the Bible but we have a sure word a more sure word of prophecy we have the word of the living God and these people said we've seen enough our gods can't help us nothing can help us we had boils on our bodies our beasts died we couldn't drink the water the river stank we had frogs everywhere we had lice everywhere flies corrupting the land 
catastrophic things happening. Let this guy go, Pharaoh, please. How long shall he be a snare to us? Let the men go. What would it take for the world to surrender to God? Doesn't matter if COVID's breaking out. Doesn't matter if there's problems with the earth and the weather, natural disasters. What do people do? I've been shut in. It's time for a good movie. Escape reality. Or try to. Trying to try to try some more vices, some more distractions and more sin. Instead of recognizing we're getting hit. We're getting hit hard. Something's happening to the world. Is there a solution? Could it be that man that died on the cross 2,000 years ago is the gateway to everlasting comfort in life? I want to surrender to Jesus Christ. I want Him to redo my world, my own existence, so that within a globe full of woes and groans and tears, God can set me in a spiritual Goshen, protected with His glorious presence and power, no matter what happens in this world, in this life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God is with me. Let the men go, Pharaoh, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Can't you see? Look outside. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go. Every single one of us with everything we possess. That's who will go. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you go and your little ones go. Beware. For evil is ahead of you. Not so. You go, the men only, and serve the Lord. That's what you want, right? And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Get out. You're saying your little ones will go with you, sons and daughters, young and old, flocks and herds? No, just the men. Then the Lord said to Moses, that's what he wants? He wants to give me his terms instead of obeying me, the living God who created the universe and his body. Moses said to, uh, the Lord said to Moses, it's time for action. No more talking. Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locust. Locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. What a devastation. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. Incidentally, we note that he brought the east wind to part the sea. He did it again over here. 
I should say he did it before he did it then. And the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. Imagine the weather report. The prognosticators, the meteorologists, the ancient system. Even in today's high-tech meteorology. Who could have predicted an east wind, can you imagine? They know how to study the sky, the atmosphere, the clouds. They have names for all the different clouds and the systems and how the water comes in the hurricanes and the effect of a hurricane hundreds and thousands of miles away upon our weather and how gradually and how fast it can change the climate. How it can affect our movement and our economy. Who could have predicted what meteorologist even today by today's advanced technological standards that I see something rising and looks like the wind is coming, easterly winds. They seem to be coming at 100 miles an hour. And by morning, we're going to have locusts coming with the wind. No such thing ever happened. It's never recorded that it ever repeated or ever will. What shall we do? the finger of God when it was morning the east wind brought the locusts and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested they took their comfort on all the territory of Egypt they said we've taken a residence they were very severe previously there had been no such locusts as they nor shall there be such after them for they covered the face of the whole earth that is in Egypt so that the land was darkened and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left so there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt some of us have seen some films depicting nuclear holocausts. What would happen the day after? These big premiere shows on television and the movies. What would it be like? For decades, people have been imagining movie makers. A man, woman, whether it's a black and white film or a color film in recent years, just going out and everything's barren. And you can hear your own voice echoing back. No one around. Not a sound. A lonely world. This is far worse than that. They witness no food. There's an attack on the land of Egypt where their survival was threatened. Their lives were at stake. Every plague threatened the lives of the enemy's nation. Then Pharaoh called from Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please, forgive me. Forgive my sin only this once. And would you entreat the Lord? Would you pray to the Lord your God that he may take away 
from me this death only. He recognized this God I'm battling, he's going to kill all of us because of my foolishness. He didn't come and strike with plagues randomly, whimsically, without any warning. Isn't God so good? Even to the wicked, he brings warnings. No wonder God is justified when he strikes, when he destroys evil from out of his presence. Pharaoh's had seven plagues before this. Warning after warning before the plagues ever came. And he's able to realize at this point, death is here. Can you please make your God stop this? And I admit, I've been the fool. I'm the one who brought this on me and my people. Please, take this away. So, God is so merciful. He allowed Moses to come from Pharaoh and pray to him. Verse 18 and verse 19, And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. Who's in control of the weather? Almighty God. Why blame the weatherman? And why blame the weather? Why blame God? Why not say, Lord, there's a reason for these clouds, there's a reason for the hurricane, there's a reason for the tornado, there's a reason for the tsunami, there's a reason for the earthquake, there's a reason for the plague, there's a reason why things are out of whack in this world, is because the world is a rebel collectively. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's looking to help when a person turns to God in a family, in a nation, God begins to show mercy. The man just said, I've sinned, can you help me? And immediately, the Lord allowed prayer to be offered from Moses. And he reversed it. And the Lord turned a very strong, he's, he brought a very strong east wind to bring these locusts in. And in a moment's time, he commanded the west wind to come and take them away and blew them into the Red Sea. Little did Pharaoh know, very soon he'd be blown into the Red Sea too, so to speak, with his army. Because he is one tricky, hardened, wicked person. Deceptive. There are people who say, I love God, I worship God, I've seen God, saying, oh, I know, some hand, invisible hand, came and rescued me from that auto wreck. I know there's a power somewhere looking out for me. There's a blasphemous notion, an audacity to say, like John Lennon in his last interview before he died of the Beatles fame. 1980. Very last interview. He says, God, whoever he or she is and whatever. Oh, Lord. It's so hard to surrender to the Lord of truth, the Lord of mercy who gave his life for us. Close our eyes to all that he's done for us and try to go head to head and toe to toe by bringing blasphemy before the Lord. 
Safara was. He saw there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. How do you? How do you not see the miraculous power of God and be in awe and say, My God, the God of the Hebrews is the real God. Look, just a moment ago, we couldn't see anything. It was so dark because the locusts covered everything. The next moment, not one of those tiny creatures are around here. Not one. What advanced evacuation methods that scientists can produce can remove billions of these creatures seemingly in an instant where not even one was left behind. Who can guarantee that? See the almighty power of God. And yet, because this man was so wicked, God allowed him to get even harder in his heart. And he did not let the children of Israel go. Somebody says, well, I read that it says the Lord actually actively hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes. But he allowed it because the man wanted it. Some people boast, I've escaped death. You know how many times i escaped death? I was telling our young son just last evening. Now in the Guinness Hall of Records, from what I recall, and many other places, you have people showing their hats where lightning struck the hat. And you can see the burn hole and how they survived. Miracle. But did they acknowledge the living Christ did this? That is, he protected me from this? He had mercy upon my soul? I'm alive because of the mercy of God? No. Well, I'm guess, I guess I'm lucky. I don't know why I survived, but I'm lucky. And I got into the Guinness Hall of Records and I'm famous. Got me some money and some fame. I guess it's worth it. Some would even be so presumptuous and foolish to say, I'll do it all over again because out of this I got me a deal where people wanted my story. They will buy me a house, risk life for material gain. Who rescued us from death? Who rescued Pharaoh? God in his mercy. When people harden their hearts against God, they refuse to acknowledge Him or give Him glory, and they continue to do evil, God has to step in and act. Please mute your lines if you have it unmuted. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven. This man is not listening. That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. What does that mean? There's some effect of this darkness. We know that certain weather changes, certain colors are said to psychologically influence people. Unless we're insulated by the power of God, we are prone various people in various ways depending upon their various constitutions within their human makeup psychological makeup and their experience certain things can trigger memories and we're so fragile but this affected everybody regardless of their psychological capacity 
everyone felt darkness that was actually tangibly effective on their emotions and their human personality and their very souls. It had some quality to it that was horrible. It was not just night. It's explicitly stated from the Holy Spirit, the darkness that came was felt. Somebody said this morning, I know what that is. I felt darkness in my soul with depression and a feeling of despair that I just didn't want to live anymore. But I heard the word of God, there's hope. There's a God who can take away the darkness. These people felt as Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. We have had electrical storms, we've had hurricanes, we've had the electricity taken out. Every one of us, I'm sure, at some point or other, lights out and it's the middle of the day. Not so bad, there's daylight outside. Lights out in the middle of the night, not so good. Especially if we don't have a flashlight or something handy to provide light. It may last for a few minutes maybe three or four hours can't see where I'm walking can't even see my hand in front of my face but imagine for three whole days we understand the day to mean a 24 hour cycle 72 hours of no movement in all the land. Because it was a darkness that could be felt. They didn't see one another. Imagine that. Three whole days you can't see the person in front of you. You can't see any of your family. You can't even see your own hand in front of you. This is what happened. It actually happened. Nobody moved from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings clear picture of what God does for us in this dark world. People say the world is cruel. People are cruel. The system is cruel. Everything is cruel. The whole world. It seems as if nature is crying out against me. I have no friends. I'm so lonely. Even when I'm surrounded by people, I feel a darkness and a loneliness and despair. Oh, we've been there. Some of us may be there this morning. God only knows. But you can have light. You can have light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall never walk in darkness. They had light, the people of God. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. You can go with your little ones, but don't take your stuff, your flocks and your herds. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices 
and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. He said, this, these are the terms of God. Don't try to manipulate that. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, you, you want it your way? Have it your way. You want to harden your heart? You lied? Saying, let the people go? And you tried to twist the terms? You want to be a monster? You don't want my grace to change you from a monster to a real man? Be a monster. But is it so simple? Or simply stated? That God says, this is what you want, have it your way? No. There's a series of God-defying gestures from this wicked heart of Pharaoh. The God says, as in Romans chapter 1, He gave him up to his own desire. God is so patient, He's so loving. If we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, we must know and conclude, truthfully, that man is the epitome of wickedness. He's a demon-possessed fellow who wants it that way. And he has repeatedly defied God. You can know that for sure. Even without knowing anything else in the Bible. If I were to read Exodus chapter 10, verse 27, that's all I had for the Bible. All I know is, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go without any background. I may question, who is Pharaoh? And who would he not let go? I don't know. Because all I have is Exodus chapter 10 verse 27. Maybe we can imagine ourselves in an underground Chinese church, in an underground Chinese church, meeting somewhere by the river in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and somebody is able to smuggle a piece of the scripture, another one brings another piece of the scripture, and they exchange it. They're not allowed to have Bibles. They can't have access to the Bibles. They're coming to meet to worship the living God in the middle of the night, in the middle of the cold winter season. Hearts aglow to serve the Lord, to worship Him with like-minded believers in the body of Christ. Where? Wearing all kinds of misfit clothing sometimes. Just to make it to the service to glorify the living God. Never mind the cold. Never mind the risk of getting caught and being imprisoned and maybe flogged, beaten, interrogated, put to death. So what? I'm here to worship the living God. Nobody can stop me. And they bring along a portion of scripture. Perhaps you get to be the one to receive Exodus chapter 10 and verse 27. Just a small sliver of the page of holy scripture. And you rejoice. And after the service you go home and by candlelight you read this treasure. You see the number 27. Nothing else. You don't even know if it's an Exodus. All you know is but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Lord, 
who is Pharaoh and who did not let go? Well, I'm waiting on the Lord for that. I see, but the Lord, Yahweh, hardened Pharaoh's heart. It can't be good because it doesn't sound like a soft, pliable heart that can be entreated. It has a negative ring to it. Calcifying that man's heart. Couldn't mean his physical heart because it's talking about the will that Pharaoh would not let them go, whoever that them is. But I can know this. If the Lord hardened whoever this man's heart is, whoever this man is, his heart being hardened, that he would defy God and not let somebody go. It sounds like probably God's people. I'm trying to infer from this sentence, but one thing I know in my conscience, in my heart of hearts, because I know my Savior, the fault is with Pharaoh, not with the Lord. If the Lord should harden Pharaoh's heart, surely Pharaoh deserves it. We must read the scriptures under the guidance of the Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures, who is the spirit of truth. Verse 28, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. From the day you see my face, you shall die. He thinks he's in control. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Not that I'm afraid of you, Pharaoh. God's going to wipe you out. You're so wicked. And then the plague is announced, the final plague. After these two plagues, in the next chapter, they would cause Pharaoh to say, just go. Every one of you and everything you have. And even after that, we see this diabolical self-deceived, demon-possessed, Satan-possessed man running after the people of God to enslave them again. This is what God will do to the devil in every individual's life. All the power the devil has had over our lives to cause us to fear. Fear doesn't come from God. God says, For I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, mindful of peace, mindful of comfort, a mind that's able to think, not crippled with fear. What a devastating experience to be crippled in one's thoughts, motivated and restricted by the spirit of fear. We know it's a fear that comes from hell. There's a spirit behind it. Second Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If Pharaoh should come after us, the devil even today, to bring fear, thoughts of fear, God says, banish that fear, because it's not from me. Resist it in Jesus' mighty name. Don't let gloom and doom take you over where you can't rejoice in me 
and live for me today. For I've not given you that spirit of fear. It's not from me. I've given you what the Holy Spirit gives. Power, real power, love and a sound mind. What God does is he systematically cuts down the devil's forces, the devil's advances against the believer's life till he eventually throws that devil into the lake of fire where he'll be no more. But in our lives now, in the present, every time the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord says, I will raise up a standard against him, I'll stop him. He'll be allowed to go this far no more, Job. Hold fast, my child. you see what the Lord will do for you. Lord, since you came and spoke to us, things have gotten more miserable. So the Israelites said to Moses, and Moses himself went to God and complained initially. Lord, this is what they're saying, and it's true. Lord, why did you ever bring me here, Lord? Seems worse than before. What word is this that you've told us, Lord? God says, listen, I'm going to deliver you. Let's get back to the mission. And he did. With a mighty outstretched arm. Can you imagine the rejoicing of those couple of million people, young and old, hastily walking, some jogging, some running. They're coming out. Coming out, not coming out of the closet to declare, I have a perverted lifestyle world and this is who I am. I'm so glad how freeing it is, how comforting to finally be who I am. That's not any comfort or freedom. That's a greater prison because now I'm flaunting the very corruptible nature that was hidden before to an extent. Rather, coming out of prison and out of bondage of real exoduses, saying, Lord, now I know what love is. I know how to love you who loved me first by giving your life on the cross, then rising from the dead on the third day justify me having washed me from all my sins with your blood I know now how to love you Lord I've tasted your love I know how to love myself I know why I was created and why I was created a certain way not a perverted statement from the devil that he's planted evil seed that I gave into and he took over my mind, my emotions, my desires and the company I keep and I became what I was not. I wasn't born this way. God doesn't make perverted people. He creates us in his image good. But man fell and brought perversion in. We inherit the disease and with the disease comes all kinds of symptoms. One of them happens to be an alternate lifestyle, as they say. It's a trap. There's no joy. There's a exclusivism and freedom and identity Satan offers, but it's all meant to deceive, to make a person feel emptier than ever. Coming out of prison is, Lord, I was enslaved, someone will say, in homosexuality. 
I was enslaved to heterosexual immorality. I was. Someone will say, I was enslaved to living for money. I was. I was in bondage to hating people of other races. I was a wicked man, wicked woman, judging the very people God made unique in his own image, different than me externally. Nonetheless, in the image of God, I was a slave to many things, symptoms of a disease, of the soul, heart bondage, and God took me out. Now I'm free to love God, love me, and love others the way I was meant to. That's an exodus. Incidentally, there's a ministry I heard of called Exodus that uh, was instrumental, at least in some cases I've heard years ago as when the book of Exodus comes to mind, to help people who are formerly in bondage to share their stories, how they came out of homosexuality, and how some of them got married and have healthy heterosexual relationships and children and families. And they go out and they have these meetings and events called Love One Out, if I remember correctly. Because people are looking for love, alas, in the wrong places. The Lord who brought the people of Israel, you see, he was so patient, they complained, they, they murmured, they were unbelieving, they questioned God, but he just showed his mercy and love and he kept continuing to effect his program of salvation. And they came out and they rejoiced, as we'll see in the next few chapters, in the days to come. This morning, the exodus that you and I have experienced if we're born again, is supposed to be held sacred as the Jews to this day commemorate that exodus with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover, the mighty deliverance from death, that tenth plague, and the deliverance from the house of bondage. The question is, are you free today? Secondly, are you able to enjoy the freedom? Have you seen that God has made a difference in your life from that of the world's people? Their lives? Have you seen the hand of God? Have you tasted of His grace? Will you say, Lord, I need to know more of you, more of your love. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but I'm still hung up over certain things, Lord. They're weighing in on me, Lord. I have some things bothering me. Father, will you help me? And the Lord will come to rescue. Anything that the devil does to try to make us not be able to enjoy the freedom that we truly have from God, if we turn to the Lord and see where that open door was or what has tried to come on to latch itself onto us, if we run to the Lord's presence, read His Word and His whole Word, not just parts of it that we like, and take the whole, then we'll be able to, we will be able to enjoy the totality of the salvation He's purchased with such a great cost, immeasurable price He paid, His own blood, precious blood of the Lamb of God. This morning we're meant to be free not to be affected by the plague, 
that the world is being crushed under. The tyrannical rule of Satan in moving them by fear and pride and ego and doubt and unbelief to do many things that are not profitable but actually counterproductive and downright destructive to themselves and others. The simplicity of following Jesus Christ simply come to him and say, Lord, you rescued me from the house of bondage. I'm free today. Thank God Almighty. I'm free indeed. No fear. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the power of your blood takes away every fear and every stain of guilt. I'm washed. Thank you, Lord. Just for the asking. Lord, will you clean me up? I really want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to Enjoy your presence and your freedom, Lord. I want to be a light to the Gentiles, to this world. Use me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Today I have money. I have time. I have everything that you've given me so that I can employ each one of those gifts to proclaim your goodness to the world. In the process, Lord, as is written in the scriptures, he who waters will be watered himself as I am a blessing to others, telling them about the love of Jesus, that they can be delivered, they can have their exodus from a life of misery, run down, broken down, abandoned like a building that's been left for destruction. God is renewed, restored, revitalized. I have hope today and I can give hope to other people. Tell them how to have their own exodus. The question is, if you've been set free, are you enjoying the freedom? What's standing in your way? What is hindering? What is the enemy up to that you can't enjoy the freedom? Believe in God and say, Lord, you came down to see my troubles. You heard my groanings, Lord. And it was not in vain that I cried unto you. You came and delivered me. You remembered your promise, Lord. You said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm a believer. I'm your child. Now, see the harassment of Satan. Put an end to it, Lord. Let me live to glorify you, worship you. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Freedom. For freedom, God came down. For freedom, you died on the cross, Lord Jesus, that we may live no longer bound by sin, Satan, and the world, but to live for you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you lift the burdens of your people up, out, and away. My God, help them to breathe easier. Those who need it physically, may your holy breath, your holy wind, Spirit of God, go into their lungs, Lord. Give them freedom to breathe. My Jesus, my Jesus, hallelujah. Give them freedom, Lord, to breathe spiritually, mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Oh my God, there is not only light at the end of the tunnel, there's a Savior standing there to bring me out with the scores of love. The trial will end. God will see to it that He will make me sit at His right hand till all His enemies have made my footstool, all my enemies. 
All the life, Lord, that you give is a life that is ascending continuously. Oh, glory to God. He has lifted me up. He has lifted me up, I know. He reached down his hand and lifted me up. And that's why I love him so. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.